Hello and welcome to our podcast called Never Seen It. My name is Trent. I'm sitting here with my wife and life partner and best friend, Betsy. This is a podcast <laughs> and I'm all those things. You're all those things. Betsy, it is time for the aughts. We're here. It's our time. Yeah. Our decade series rages on into the 2000s. 2003 was a formative year for me and Betsy. Mm -hmm. Because if you did not hear in our last episode, this is the year that Betsy and I graduated high school. We're very young people no, right now in no, our lives. Betsy, it it's wasn't been, 20 years it ago. It was 20 years ago, <laughs> like a few months ago that we uh, graduated high school. We were so, starting college now-ish. Right. We were. It was around this time that I think I started to like pack my things and I was about to go up to, to, uh, up to college because I was one of the few people who were able to go in early, uh -huh. like a week early. And, like, start meeting people and, like, doing, like, orientation things. But not all of the freshmen got to do that. It was weird. Yeah. So that was 2003. That's yeah. what we were doing. Yeah. And you know what else was uh, was going on in 2003? We were watching a lot of movies. We were watching a lot of movies. And this is yet another decade where we've already seen most of the big ones. So, Betsy, we're going to go a little bit lower key. And we're going to watch a movie called American Splendor. Which neither of us has watched. Neither of us have seen this movie, but Betsy, why don't you tell the people what you think you know about it? So the only things I know are pretty limited. I know that Paul Giamatti is the star, and this is kind of when he was on the rise. Like, he had made, what was it, that Agent Cody Banks or some, one of those, like, weird... Like kid movies around this time. Did he, did he like play the villain or something? He seems like he would play a villain in a kid's movie. I don't think that's the right movie, but there's one where he is the <laughs> quote, the villain of the piece. Sure. And we've covered some Paul Giamatti movies. Most recently, I think Shoot 'em Up was. <laughs> I think so. Was he was the villain in that yep. one? He plays a good villain. He does. And this one predates Sideways, so he yeah. hadn't really gotten the reputation yet as like a really good go to actor. A really good yeah. dramatic actor. Yeah. So this is a movie that he is starring in, and it is about a graphic novelist. I want to say it's also based on a graphic novel. Yes. But like, it's probably going to be pretty meta if that's the case. It's both. It is about the dude who made the the comic, and like the the name of the movie, American Splendor, is the name of the comic series. Okay. Yeah. This is nonfiction to a point. I, I know it is based on a real dude, based on a real comic, but other than that, you know, Paul Giamatti being in it, I don't really know anything else. Neither do I, so I'm not sure if this is, like, really sad and gonna depress me, or if it's really funny, or if maybe it's a little bit of both. I would say it's probably a little of both. Knowing what... Paul Giamatti is like as an actor. And the kind and, of projects he does. And the kind of projects that he is cast in anyway. Now, just a little background on, on us. Like, Betsy and I really like Paul Giamatti. He has shown up in a lot of movies that are, are some of our favorites. My particular favorite of his isn't a movie. It is the HBO miniseries John Adams, where he plays the titular character. And that wasn't that many years after this movie either. No, that was like 2008-ish or yes, maybe later. Still, I really do not remember when that came out. But Still not that much later out than dude, this. Dude won like every Emmy out there, every award out there for that, for that series. He and uh, Laura Linney also won all the awards. And it was just a really well-recognized series. 
But Paul Giamatti was, of course, mainly known for his role in Sideways, which is a movie that I haven't seen. It just seemed like, I don't know, I, I got this air about Sideways is that it was really pretentious and all about wine, and maybe that's the point. It is kind of the point, but we're not talking about that movie today. <laughs> <laughs> but what is your history with Paul Giamatti? Honestly, I don't know the first thing I saw him in, but it's funny because he's one of those guys that's been acting since like the 80s. So every once in a while, I'll put in a movie from like 1992 and I'm like, what the fuck is Paul Giamatti doing here? (laughs) He's the gardener or some random shit. So yeah, I honestly don't know the first thing I saw him in. I just know I like him as an actor, and he has yeah. turned out a lot of really interesting and good performances. Yeah, and I, for, for my knowledge, I don't think this movie got recognized in a lot of like really big areas. Like it didn't. I don't think it got nominated for anything in uh, the Oscars except for like screenplay. No idea. So I think it got it did get recognized in like the indie community, like smaller awards were awarding it for whatever it was. But. The vibe I I have heard about this movie is. If you like indie film, you'll probably like this. Yeah, and somebody on Twitter the other day was saying, oh, I I really have discovered that I liked Paul Giamatti. Give me some of his... Uh, his movies that you like the most. And I would say maybe half of the people who responded said this movie was their favorite. So us being Paul Giamatti fans, I'm looking forward to this. I, I know Betsy is. So let's go and watch it. American Splendor 2003. We'll be right back. American Splendor. Betsy, what did you think of that one? Somehow that movie is exactly what I thought it was going to be and completely different from what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, my thoughts are very similar. I don't know if this is idiotic or brilliant. I'm leaning towards brilliant because I yeah. really liked this one I once I understood gr- it. Yeah, I it took me a little bit to really get into it, but by like the second act, you know, a third of the way through it, I was totally bought in. Once you find the groove of what kind of a movie they're trying to make here Mm -hmm. and when you know a couple of things about the filmmakers suddenly it all becomes more clear because it is both a scripted movie Mm -hmm. and a documentary yeah and the people who made it the two directors the writers and directors Mm -hmm. are most known up until this point for making documentaries yeah and only a documentarian can really take a subject like this and really break it apart because you're not going to have your subject like looking younger or like playing younger to try to tell his story but at the same time you still want his voice in there so what better way to do it than to do it in this way and this individual in particular had built such a reputation for what kind of a guy he was yeah Why wouldn't you want to get this person in your project? You want him involved in every way possible. And not only do you want to have him contribute, like, dialogue and stories and whatever else to the text, but you also want to have him, for lack of a better word, illustrate some of the scenes from his own life. But then again, why not just put him in there in some fashion? And, you know, 
in a lot of like biopics, you're going to have like a cameo, like your real, the real subject, if they're still alive, is going to make a cameo in your movie. And in this case, no, he's just telling stories. He's the fucking narrator at some points. And commenting on the actual movie as it's happening. Like, right. here's this schmuck. It's supposed to be me, but I didn't look like that. <laughs> right, right. Like, he is, like, breaking down the fourth wall at every opportunity. He doesn't care. But I also appreciate that they went in this direction because the whole concept of what he was putting out in his comics was about him. It was yeah. a document it was about his life. It was raw and just completely true from his own, from his own life. Honest and sardonic and miserable and yeah. angry. That, see, this whole, this character, this guy is equal parts like Woody Allen and Larry David. Like, think, <laughs> yeah. think about it. An anxiety-filled, like, neurotic mm. asshole. Who just, no matter how good his life may actually be, right. is constantly miserable. Like, there is no joy in his life, and he has a really hard time finding it. And more often than not, he doesn't even want to find it. Right, or he'll just ignore it if he has to. No wonder he's gotten divorced <laughs> a couple of times. But yeah, for that being the source material, to do... In a documentary style, that's just a fascinating choice. It's so unique. It like, really I've, is. The only thing that I can think of that is like equal parts document documentary and real film was when we watched Nomadland, which you have the real actor, you have Frances McDormand like being this character, but she's really the embodiment of all of the other actors in all of the other people in the movie because they're not actors. They're real people who live this life and they're telling their real stories. They just happen to be on screen with actors. The difference here is though, they actually like break the fourth wall where there are yeah. times where they yell cut and Paul Giamatti right. is sitting in a chair in the background with Judah Friedlander watching the real husband and wife. They're subjects. They're, yeah. they're subjects be interviewed in the foreground while they're in the background. And I was just watching him watch them. That is, <laughs> Is insane i've never had a movie like this yeah i would love to hear like interviews with paul giamatti about this guy about harvey oh that would be fascinating because i'm sure he spent a lot of time with him just you know picking his brain watching his mannerisms and asking all these questions about him and just having harvey just be himself as the subjects of as the subject of the interviews. Well, and of course, this is a rather unremarkable man. He lives in fucking yeah. Cleveland, Ohio. Yep. He is a clerk at a hospital. All he does is file shit all day. He said at one point there's kind of a piece of dialogue where he says he got kicked out of the army, so right. he didn't even have like a whole career. Right. He's got OCD. He never wants to give anything away. He's angry and small, and his life is kind of just the same for a huge stretch of it. Right. He, he does not make any kind of effort to improve his lot in life. When he uh, encounters the person that he went to school with at the donut shop, he says, oh, I don't, I don't have a car yet. Dude, you are like almost 30 years old at this point. You don't have a car in a big city? I don't think we see him drive this whole movie. He doesn't. He just walks he around. Doesn't. And you know, that's okay if you have like a really good public transportation system. I have no idea what it was like in, in the 70s in Cleveland. Well, and that's another thing is this starts in 1975 for the first part of his arc. Yeah. 
And we've talked about it before. The 70s in the United States were a shitty time. It was rough. It was not a good place to be. And living somewhere like Cleveland, it's a city. But like his wife says, you know, I don't really mind moving here. Every city is kind of depressing. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, sure. But of course, at this time, he's in his late 20s. He's already been divorced twice. Yep. I mean, I can understand making a mistake when you're really young and like late teens, early 20s. You get married to your high school sweetheart or something to that effect. In those days, especially, it's what you did. You got married when you were like 19, 20 years old. Sure. That's what you did. Sure. But then you do it again and you make another mistake. And in this case, it's maybe the mistake of the woman. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> he's not the easiest man to love the way as he is portrayed no, here. But, but you know what? The wife that he ended up with for the re- remainder of his life, I would say sh- they're pr- probably perfect for each other. Those two together are a perfect match because yeah. they're both weird in their own unique way where she's like, what did she give the speech about? She can't eat vegetables because they wreak havoc on her digestion right and so she is a self-diagnosed anemic and she can't everything is self-diagnosed with what her did, well what did she say she has a lot of political reasons she can't eat vegetables yeah she wants to be a vegan but her insides won't let her <laughs> but she uses politics as the reason for it and meanwhile he's not political about anything well in that conversation he says well after i got a cat i kind of didn't feel all that well about about eating about eating animals <laughs> and that's the only reason that's a pretty weak reason dude right and she doesn't want to meet him because he is always drawn in a different way and she doesn't know what she's going right. to get there are three different artists who are drawing this character in the comic I guess because it has to change every so often. I mean, it's who you can get. When you're in Cleveland, you're going to take who you can get. Yeah, it's who you can get. It's who you can afford and who you're getting along with at the time, maybe. Maybe. I don't know, but I like the scene where she finally shows up at this, like, bus depot or airport or whatever it is. And she's looking around to see, like, to envision what he might look like sitting on the bench over there or standing next to the wall over here. And then he just kind of slides into frame as himself. And announces he had a vasectomy. (laughs) Okay, before we get anything started here, I just want to let you know I have had a vasectomy. And then you leave. (laughs) This movie is hysterical because of that. Like, I could really see that this is the kind of comic if I had been into comic books growing up, Mm -hmm. if I had been into comic books at this time, that this might be a thing I'd enjoy because he's just like, I'm not going to bullshit you. Life sucks. (laughs) Everything is terrible. My life sucks. Yeah, my life sucks. And he's just cuts through all the bullshit. Like literally he convinces her to come and he's just this schlub when they're on the phone, like cutting his toenails and he's in like a dirty shirt. And he's so honest though and women love honesty mm-hmm. so the fact that he's like i had a vasectomy and then he gets to the, his house and says well i thought about cleaning but i have a problem with cleaning it doesn't matter how hard i try yeah, I, I so why put, why sugarcoat it yeah i don't want to put on airs that I, i'm gonna be like cleanly if you if this works out this is just how it is yeah so. i'm disgusting <laughs> And again, I understand where he's trying to be honest. He's trying to do whatever. But 
just at least clear off the couch no. so that you can just sit there without it crinkling. But guess what? It doesn't fucking matter it doesn't because matter. the same night she proposes to him, <laughs> she asks him, yeah. like, I think we should just skip the courtship and get married. But you know what? With these two, I get it. I get why she would say that. Some people just, it's like, it's how it is. But with they him, meet them. With him, there's nothing else to get. What is on the surface is what he is. Yeah, he's not a man of unsuspecting death. (laughs) He is mad at things that he can't control. He's a hypochondriac. He's got OCD. He doesn't want to get rid of anything. He can't clean a dish to save his life. Right. That's an ongoing thing throughout the movie. Like, I can clean a dish five times and it's still dirty. Yeah. And when he finally starts doing this comic, it doesn't get him any success Like, the fact that this movie exists is kind of fascinating based on the way they tell this. It just seems like, yeah, no, he just sort of wrote this in his free time for 40, not 40, but 30 years. Yeah. And then he died. Like, he retired and he lived a couple more years and Mm -hmm. he died. Yeah, and that's kind of how the movie ends. Like, he's thinking to himself, well, yeah, I'm hoping that I can get a few good years after I actually retire. And he does. And that's exactly what happens. So going back to that scene where she shows up at the bus stop. So you're right. She's looking around to try to figure out which version of him she's going to get. And it's all the different animated versions of him Mm -hmm. sitting there. And this is another one of those stylistic things they kind of do throughout the movie where they either have the animated version over the top of the of the live action Mm -hmm. or they have the live action over the animation. So it's a little bit of both, depending on what part of the movie it is. Mm -hmm. So there's that scene. There's the one right before he writes the comic where he's in line behind the old Jewish lady. I love that scene. It's like his thought bubble is his angry inner monologue. Like, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? What is this lady? (laughs) And that's what really gets him to start writing the thing. Yeah, because he's kind of entertaining himself. Like his his train of thought, his like inner monologue is just propelling him through his day. And it turns out, you know what? I think this is funny. I think this is good. I'm going to start writing this down. And he gives it to his illustrator friend and he says, you know what? This is pretty good. I can help you out with this. In, In 1976 or 1975, whenever that scene takes place. Yeah. It really would have been a novel concept for somebody to write real stories in this medium. He said it himself. Like, every other comic out there is about, you know, a hero or a superhero or somebody saving the day. No, my comic is just going to be how, like, shit my life is. Or the mundacity of existence. And that's why the title works. Because American Splendor is exactly the opposite of what his life actually is. (laughs) It's an ironic title. Indeed. Well, in the opening scene, the very first scene we get is him as a kid in 1950 going trick-or-treating. And every other child is dressed as a superhero. And he's just this kid from the neighborhood. Right. And when he's trying to explain... I just want the candy. Right. And the parents don't get it. He's just like, this is bullshit. I give up. I'm Harvey Picar. And that's it. Yeah. (laughs) That's who he is. And so it's a perfect way to set up the rest of the movie. He is not a superhero. He's just a dude. It's also a great way to set up himself. Like him as a person of him just hating people. Like people suck. Like they don't get me. Why don't you just let me be me? Yeah. I'm not interested in this whole charade. Just give me the fucking candy. Right. 
And they just set it up so great. And that tone goes through the rest of the movie because in the opening credits is when we start getting that narration Mm -hmm. from the real guy. And I was like, who is this squeaky voice dude we're listening to? Right. And then they cut to... It's the real guy drinking orange soda, talking about, no, I don't want water. I right. just want my orange soda. It's, it's the entire, like, it's intro- like the, the opening sequence is introducing what the rest of the film is going to be. You, you have, like, the, the comic book overlay with uh, each, like, comic book, like, tile or square or whatever the hell it's called, uh, intermingled with real-life footage with Paul Giamatti. Then you also have the real guy uh, saying, hey, like, a straight on shot of him like waving at the camera. Hey, it's me. This is me talking. (laughs) It's such a strange thing. But once like the first time it happens, you're kind of taken aback. Right. Once you kind of let yourself go along with it, it becomes really enjoyable. And they even go so far as like later on, he somehow gets invited to be on Letterman. Right. In the eighties when he was still on NBC. Yeah. When he was on late night. And Paul Giamatti in character leaves backstage to go on Mm -hmm. and then we cut to his wife watching it on tv yeah we pan over to the actual television that has a live feed from the thing but it's really just a tape of the it's the real footage from letterman yeah so we get the sequence of all his appearances on letterman because he was on how many times you looked this up i don't know how many times but there is a youtube video out there that is an hour and 37 minutes oh my god of all of his appearances from the 80s till 1994 when he had his his uh, his big rant let's say right so if you figure every segment is about six minutes that's a lot of appearances yeah. he just became this nut that I, and i had no idea that this was a thing. I didn't really watch Letterman back in the 80s and 90s, obviously. No. It wasn't until he had The Late Show and he was going back and forth with Leno. So, And I didn't even really watch Letterman when I was young. No. So I'd, I've not seen a lot of footage from when he had the show in the 80s. Yeah. But I know enough about Letterman and his sense of humor and the things that make him amused. Right. That this tracks for me. This kind of schlubby, crazy person who just gets on your couch and starts getting super defensive and starting a fight with him. Like the first time he's on there. Right. And Letterman is like, calm down, dude. But Chill out. He- get such a good response out of it that they invite him back and they invite him back and they invite him back. He just becomes this kook that that they keep bringing on because the audience loves him and Dave loves him. Yeah, he knows it's good TV. Dave was smart enough to know it doesn't matter what this man says. Right. People are going to tune in to watch him because look at this nut. Right. And I mean, he's, you know, inoffensive. He's not going to come out there and start, you know, something really abhorrent until he starts to you know go behind the scenes and start bashing nbc and ge and everybody else who is paying his paycheck now letterman did that himself but that's his gig yeah <laughs> he can it's his business daddy he can do that if he wants. <laughs> but then the last scene nbc wouldn't actually give them the rights to right so then they're for this movie so then they're recreating his on-screen rant right with an actor playing David Letterman. We got to find this footage somewhere. I know it's 
out there. Oh, I, tr- yeah. I tried to look it up just before we started recording, and like some of the, uh, the, the the footage that I found was copyright stricken from Worldwide Pants from his production company. They do not want that out there. Like they have hidden it. What do you mean? They it's a copyright strike on YouTube. So if they say, "Hey, this is ours," you cannot have it up on oh. your your channel. They have to take it down. It'll get reported exactly. and removed. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where when you have a really public meltdown and rant and it's not helping the show at all because right. I'm sure Dave responded, "He's not a guy who tolerates bullshit." Like, well, he'll, he'll do it when it's fun, but when it starts becoming a personal thing, like, here, what he's saying, I'm sure, is what he actually said. Like, this is not the time nor yeah, yeah. the place. Like, cool it, dude. Just yeah. chill we're the fuck all, out. We're all trying to have a good time here, but, you know, I think Harvey finally got to the point where he, he said, you know what? I'm not getting what I need out of this show anymore. I'm going to go on here and say exactly what I mean to say, and you guys are trying to exploit me. Like, me being me, you were exploiting that and making fun of me because of it, and I tolerated it for a while, but not anymore. Well, he's got a point. He said, I only come on here to sell my comic books, and I'm still a fucking clerk. Right. You guys are are not paying me enough to come here. I'm not getting the return on my own investment, on my time. I'm I'm coming to your shit, and I'm done with it. I'm tired of being the butt of your joke. Right. So, fuck you guys. And you know what? He had a point. And he didn't have to do it anymore. Right. And like, I get it. They give you some context here. Like his wife is gone and he's very lonely because he's a guy who yeah. can't really be left alone. He, and, and at that time, he is also like very much under stress because he found a lump on his balls. Yeah. So he's a, yeah. he's about to go through something shitty and he knows it, right. but he's too chicken shit to actually do anything about it. He's just pretending it doesn't exist, but he's yeah. still internalizing all of that until he explodes. It's a lot of stuff leading to him having a very public meltdown. <laughs> right. And, you know, I would barely even call it that because it's not really a meltdown. He's just, he's, he doesn't care anymore. And he is kind of putting on, like, after a, sh- a few appearances on the show, I would imagine that after a while, okay, you get how it's going to go. You know how much time you have. You know what you're going to talk about. You talk to Dave beforehand to know what you're going to talk about on the show. But by this time... He is, you know what, I I am throwing a bomb here. I'm destroying this relationship, and I know it's going to be destroyed. So guess what? I'm going to be on national TV. They can't replace me at the last minute with another guest. No. So here we go. He decides before he goes out there to take off his sweatshirt, and he's wearing a boycott NBC t-shirt. Right. Like, nobody's screening this guy. He's Mm -hmm. never done anything this wacky before. And he's been on the show, you know, a dozen times or more. Of course he's not going to do it because he's just this fucking guy from Cleveland that just keeps on going on there. I mean, he, he is kind of like the, the Rupert guy that Letterman always went to go and see on his, his second show. In the 90s and the yeah. 2000s. Rupert G in the Hello Deli. Exactly. So he's just this, he's a shop owner, but he's an interesting character. Harvey is an interesting character that Dave likes to have on his show and, and honestly exploit. But there comes a point where, you know, the notoriety and the fame and maybe the extra fortune that comes along with it maybe isn't worth the anxiety and the humiliation in some point, in in, in some fashion. There is a certain amount of promotion that's happening, yes. Yeah. But if it's not really changing your life, why keep doing it to yourself? And, you know, in the 90s, who had like digital distribution of that kind of thing? You can't buy that online and have it shipped to your house. No. You have to find, you essentially have to raise your 
notoriety and fame high enough so that your local comic book shop might carry a few copies per issue. That's a high bar to, to, to pass. Well, and that's how it's fascinating that he and his wife were able to meet because she's in Delaware, right. which is not next door to Ohio, not nope. to Cleveland. Nope. And somehow they are able to pick up this specific comic book, American Splendor, mm -hmm. and she gets very up in arms when her idiot partner sells all the copies of the issue she hasn't read yet. All right, she's a fan. She's a fan, and sometimes that's how those things happen. Yeah, there's plenty of like famous people who marry their fans. Sure, but yeah, going from 1975, Cleveland, very small time, and then in eight issues that she knows who he is in Delaware. Right. In that very specific circuit, he had fans. But there was no internet. There was no, you know, mailing it in the distribution list. Mm -hmm. You couldn't pre-order it. If you did, there was probably a printed mailing address on the last page or on the back of the comic book. Right, right. Like you couldn't like subscribe to the thing. You couldn't no. just have it delivered to your home. You had to go to your local comic book shop or newspaper stand or whatever else that was going to carry such a thing. And you probably even have to request it from the retailer. Yeah, beg them to stock it yeah. in your local area. Exactly. But really what I'm fascinated by here isn't necessarily just his his reach on his comic book. It is how a LA play producer got his name got his story, called him up and says, Hey, I want to write a play about you. I want to adapt your stories into, into a play, into a play for some kind of West coast thing. I have no idea how that would have happened. Again, it's just knowing the circles and knowing people like some schmuck who liked comic books got his hands on it right it fell into this producer's hands in california yeah, just through the grapevine somebody was a fan who also knew a producer and the producer liked it and then reached out it's not like harvey is going out there and trying to sell his stuff out, out to a wider audience <laughs> he is not into self-promotion no man. no no but he, he very bizarre for him, he describes how he is watching a play of his own life in a movie about right. his own life. That he is talking about as it's being shown to you. It's so meta and strange. It's like five layers of meta. Also, the people who are in the play are Molly Shannon as his wife and, and Donald, Donald Logue as him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's like a guy playing an original song called American Splendor. Right. It's just like, this is so this strange. Is I'm entering a weird loop. <laughs> <laughs> but then, I mean, after that, was it after that that Letterman came calling? Somewhere around that time. Yeah, like having him have the the national presence and notoriety and whatever you want to call it is i think the most fascinating thing about this just him being this very small time comic book like writer he's not even an artist he doesn't draw anything no he can't draw for shit no he he draws his fucking stick figures and like storyboards out the scenes but that's as far as it goes and then somebody else has to fill in the gaps. Yeah. He was just, again, really lucky because he happened to be friends with this guy right. who became a really well-known comic artist. Right. He's this guy who he meets at a fucking like garage sale, yard sale, when he's going around trying to buy records for a quarter and then selling them for a dollar. That's he, his whole well, thing. Well, and he's trying to talk him down from a right, right. <laughs> Well, and even there, where the real Harvey is talking about 
this experience of going to garage sales and going to different places, mm -hmm. digging through, trying to find the treasures. While he's being interviewed, they're on this white set and there is a dude behind him who's just digging around looking right. for records. Right. And he's not him. He's not a character. He's just like they're. It's, it's a they're weird representation. Yeah. The extras from the movie into this weird this background. This weird, like white void, but isn't a white void because it's just all digitally altered. Yeah. But then there's also the scene later where Harvey basically is going through cancer treatment. And he collapses, and Paul Giamatti is in this, like, kind of cartoon vortex. I don't know what you call it's it. It's the white void. The white void, but there is a draw there are drawings and footage playing behind him. Yeah. And he's just giving this monologue about how there are multiple people in his community. With in the, the phone book. In the phone book with the same name as him, and how they died, and he never met them, but then another one appeared. <laughs> this is one of those moments where he's just having this like existential like where are they coming from? How are there so many people with this really specific right. name in my town? Right. He's like, he's he's thinking outside of himself. He is observing this very tiny world from his own perspective. And this is how he sees the world. He, he doesn't actually exist in the world. He's just observing it from afar. And those people are some of the best writers and just observationalists, if you want to call it that. Of our time. Like, those are the greatest writers of all time. Well, and he, this is juxtaposed with him when he's going through his cancer and he's facing death and he's having a lot of these internal feelings and thoughts. And he says, if I die, does my comic book me keep going? Right. Does my character stay alive? Do, are you going to keep it going if, uh, if and when I die? And then they have this scene where he's talking about all the other Harvey's Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just this kind of one-off scene there's nothing else like it in the movie but it is probably no. the funniest thing in the whole movie it's like, it's like he's having a delusional episode where he is like recovering from, he's going through the chemo and he's having all of these different things happening to his body and this is what your brain decides to do yeah, it, it seems like maybe this was just a dream he had about this internal monologue. It's just this brilliant observation that, I don't know, it just really tickled me, that <laughs> entire scene. Like, you would have that experience. Yeah. If you saw someone with the exact same name as you, there's not a lot of trends in this world. No. You had it happen to you last fucking week. <laughs> yes. I went to the dentist. I had a dentist appointment at 3 o'clock one day, and I walked in, said my name. I have a 3 o'clock appointment. My name's Trent. Okay. Here's this paperwork for you to fill out to blah, blah, blah. I go down and sit down. There's another guy who comes in around the same time, a few minutes after I sit down. He goes up there and I didn't hear what he said because I'm concentrating on what I'm doing. And the lady at the desk asks, okay, your last name? Oh, it's this. Okay, here's this paperwork for you to fill out too. And we're both sitting in the lobby, one chair between us. And then somebody uh, from where you're actually going to get your work done comes out of the door and says, Trent. And that's how they do it every time. And the guy next to me stands up and starts going out. She, he is almost through the door when the lady at the desk says, whoa, 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 whoa. I think you, you got the right Trent. And no, she didn't. She, she meant me. And we both kind of looked at each other and like, this has, I am 38 years old. This has never happened to me in my life. No, <laughs> no. I barely met a lot of other Trents in my life, let alone somebody that had the exact same appointment time at the exact same place. <laughs> at the same dentist. At you the didn't same even know dentist. another guy named Trent was at your dentist. No, why would I? No, 
how would you possibly know that? Yeah. And it's not like you have the same last name, but that situation in and of itself was bizarre enough. To me, it was because I don't meet a lot of other trends. It is not a very common name, especially for somebody born in the 80s. Right. And if we were to still be in an age where we had phone books and I looked up your name and there were two of you. Yeah. Would you be middle initial with your last name or would you get to be the first one? (laughs) I'd probably get to be the first one because I was born earlier, maybe. Maybe. I don't know what the rules are. But that was just a great conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That scene, it's surprisingly deep from a man you wouldn't expect it to be from. Yeah. So... We've talked enough about Harvey, I think. There's a couple other characters here we need to, to kind of d- uh, dive into. Uh, Hope Davis is is the wife, the, the third wife, excuse me. Wife number three. Wife number three. Uh, Hope Davis is a gal that we have seen in many things. And mainly, and we haven't mentioned it yet, this was a an HBO Films production. The majority of the things that we have seen her from are HBO Productions. HBO likes to reuse their actors. They do. Cough, cough, Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti, (laughs) yep. Which, by the way, you mentioned when they were doing the fucking uh, MTV shoot with the, the nerd friend, the guy who had the weird, like, waterfall hair, who was the yuppie that he calls him, that was the guy who played uh, John Quincy Adams as an adult in the John Adams show. He was also on Girls, and now he's yep. on The Bear. Right. So, well, and the not bear, that The Bear is on yeah, HBO, but... The Bear but... is from uh, FX, but still. My point is, Hope Davis was on In Treatment, which was an HBO show, and The Newsroom. Yep. Both HBO shows. But anyway, we like Hope Davis. Yeah, she's she's one of those people that when I see her, I always go, oh, I know her. Right. But she doesn't always get as much credit for being a good actress as... No. Like, she doesn't get the recognition she deserves. Well, and she doesn't really get cast in Hollywood pictures. It's all this other smaller th- stuff. Yeah. But anyway, she's... I think they had perfect casting in here. Not only Paul Giamatti, but her as well. When you see the real person, the shape of the face. Now, the wig is a little much. I didn't like the wig. Yeah. If I was just watching this and I saw her out of context looking the way she does, it doesn't look like a convincing wig. It's a little bit bizarre. But the shape of the face, the mouth and everything... Perfect. And the vocal intonation, because they yeah. both have like really distinct accents for where they are from. So mm-hmm. she's got a little bit of Delaware going on. Mm-hmm. Paul Giamatti is playing Harvey Picar, who's got a Midwestern Ohio thing. Oh, yeah. I, I know some people who are from like the Detroit, Toledo, Cleveland area. That is their accent. Yeah. So they are really nailing that. But if they were by themselves, these two actors, I wouldn't know how good a job they're doing. Mm-hmm. But to actually see the real couple sprinkled throughout this movie it's just like wow yeah they're both really good casting (laughs) for this yeah and like her as a as a person her as a character i mean she is exactly what you think that she is like you would see her walking down the street with a book in her hand she's the bookworm she's the person always hanging out at the library reading comic books just reading 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 but she's also got a lot to give the world and wants to yeah. help people. And she's this like hippie chick uh, who is like wanting to save the world's problems. Yeah, she goes to Israel. She wants right. kids and she adopts. They adopt yeah. this kid. Yeah. Because dad knows, you know, mom's unreliable and right. I can only do so much. And right. she's going to be better off with you guys than with me. And that's amazing. 
And so it all worked out, even though he's kind of on her, like, I don't want to have kids, grumble. I had a vasectomy. There's a reason right, for that. Right. But sometimes that's how it works out. It's like, maybe you just don't want a baby. Yeah. But there are plenty of kids who have brains and thoughts oh, and yeah. feelings who are perfectly capable of intelligent speech who need a home. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm kind of in the same vein. Like, I'm not really into little kids, but like... We have some friends who have kids who are around that kid's age, and those kids are awesome. Like, I love to hang around those kids and just talk to them. Just pick to their brain. see the way their mind works right. is fascinating. Yeah. Like, that's more interesting to me than having, like, a baby or a toddler or even, like, a four, three or four-year-old. Or... The screaming and the pooping, and I don't understand what you want. Like, I don't know how to hold you. Your head is just so massive and, and like, <laughs> oh, you're all squirmy. It's my favorite thing when people try to hand you their baby because you're like, oh, yay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Not, not most my, natural not state. Not my thing. But that's okay, though. Um, so the other person that we haven't mentioned is uh, his his nerd friend that I that I referred to him as earlier, Toby. Um, he's he's a character. <laughs> so yes, they have Judah Friedlander. Yeah, which this is you very may, much pre Thirty Rock. Yeah, you may not know his name. I didn't, but you know his face. He's got a very distinct look, but in this, he looks very different. Right, he is like he's the guy with the thick rim glasses and the trucker hat. And big sideburns and long hair. Yeah. Yeah, he's a comic. And in this movie, he is playing the most stereotypical nerd who is also based in a real person who is also in this movie. Jesus Christ, that guy is a caricature of nerds. So he's like, hello, I am a nerd. I am going to go to the comic book. He's the guy from The Simpsons. That's who he is. Yeah, he's comic book guy and... He is the guy in office space. Yes. He's Milton. He's Milton. He's like, I have a long day ahead of me. I have to drive 260 miles to Toledo to see this movie. <laughs> what, what movie do you need to go and see to drive a round trip 200, 260 miles that you can't see in Cleveland? Well, it's it's this, uh, again, here comes the, the fucking <laughs> Woody Allen. <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds. And they, they proceed to describe this movie, which, by the way, how are you describing this movie if you've never seen it? Like, you don't even know the ending. It's the same thing as the comic book culture, where if you're in a certain circle and you receive certain publications, you're going to find out about it. I suppose. So he likes nerdy shit. He's probably got some magazine, something he subscribes to. Or he's in some a newsletter. Kinda, yeah, he's in a group where he's getting a newsletter about all things nerdy because, again, this is before the internet, before all those guys started to get on the internet, before other people who started making a whole fuckload of money on the internet before other people, too. And he probably literally just, like, called around to different movie theaters to see where it was playing because yeah. that's how you got the movie times. You call the fucking phone number. Right, right. <laughs> put in your zip code, put in the, the title, and we'll tell you when it's playing and where so they all go to toledo him and his friend and his friend's wife right to see after they this get married movie. after they get married after knowing each other for a week to see this movie and the fact that his wife describes this movie as <laughs> i have a dream it has it has the same importance as the i have a dream speech from but martin for luther nerds. king but for nerds <laughs> what wow Wow. <laughs> that's, that's all that needs to be said is wow. <laughs> <laughs> but even his friend was able to cash in on a little bit of his success and like his nerdy friend gets to be on MTV. Right. 
And again, it's fucking Kurt Loder doing the MTV News thing, just doing this report about this guy who is a weird nerd from Cleveland. Like, he would be a TikTok star these days. Probably. And they have the real guy. Again, that scene, it's the two of them in the background, Paul Giamatti and Judah Friedlander sitting in their chairs waiting for the scene to start. Right. And then the real Harvey and the real Toby having a conversation about jelly beans. Right. Like, this one is cinnamon. Can you tell just by looking? No, I have to put it in my mouth. I have to put it in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Just seriously, if you have seen this movie or if you have never watched it and you get to this scene... Look at Paul Giamatti. Yeah, just watch the actors in the background. Just watching the dudes. Watching them watch each other. Like, yeah. it was fascinating. It's And this guy is the truest stereotype of a nerd. It's incredible. It was amazing. And Judah is really, really good as this character. He is yeah. unrecognizable. And with the hair being different, with his costuming, with his voice. And you would think that, oh, he's just putting on a stupid voice. Though, that you couldn't possibly be that nerdy and you have can. that nerdy voice. You can. Oh my god, it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> the being from Ohio doesn't help his situation because it just gives him an accent on top right. of being a nerd. Right. And we, we haven't even mentioned the fact that like throughout the entire movie, there's this thing about his voice. Like early on in 1975, he's at the doctor because he completely loses his voice and he can only kind of whisper. And they say, oh, yeah, you got a little uh, little uh, nodule on your on your vocal cords. And it's probably because you, you all you do is go out there and like yell at people at the top of your lungs. Well, and he's at the point of this movie with his second wife and yeah. almost getting divorced. So they fight all the time. Yeah. So it's an indicative of the fact that they are always fighting and screaming at each other. Well, and I think he has also an issue with uh, when he's coming out of the movie and when they're having dinner together. His wife has to say, use your inside voice. You j- you have a problem with raising your voice when you are very excited about something and you can't help it. I wouldn't know anything about that. Betsy wouldn't know anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> I come from a large family. We yep. all speak very loudly and quickly and over each other all the time. And I cannot control uh-huh. the pitch or volume of my voice at times. Especially when you are with your family. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. It happens. That's okay. It happens to the best of us. I'm so <laughs> sorry when you come from a big family you have to compete yeah compete to be heard and when you are the loudest you get to be heard at least that's what goes you through your brain anyway and when you get excited you get louder and that's his problem when he gets excited about things he gets louder and paul giamatti wouldn't know anything about that either it's only his I've entire never, career i've never seen paul giamatti get upset in the film <laughs> you're crazy yes all right i just had a few more things here um I want to talk about kind of the the thing that kicks him in the pants to get everything going because he's a file clerk at the VA. So there's all sorts of like sick people going in there or they're older people. And he sees a file of a dude who had the occupation of clerk and he died young. He died at the age of what? 50 or something like that. He was in his 50s. Yeah. And that's what really kicks him in the ass to start doing this comic thing because I think that's where he goes to the grocery store and he has the incident with the old Jewish woman who is which is maybe the best scene in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh the next thing was I I don't remember exactly where it was, but I think it was just after this where he's talking about having a lonely weekend. So this is maybe right after his wife leaves him. It's the first weekend he's having by himself. 
he says he feels like someone is still there and he likens it to an amputee who lost a limb who still thinks it's there. The phantom feeling. The phantom pain, the phantom tingles. You think it's still there, but it's not. You and think there's someone sleeping next to you, but there's not. A, it's a great poetic way to describe that. And I mean, I, I can't really relate to that because the only person who has been around me as long as they have is you. So yeah. And I don't I, leave that often. No, no, but <laughs> not I, for weeks on end. I really, she leaves for like four weeks. Right. I, I really appreciated uh, that, that sentiment anyway. Um, early on when these two are like getting together for the first time, they kind of can't look at each other. Like, when they're at the, the dinner, he says, what, what, are you upset about something? And like, they literally cannot look at each other. Even like at the bus depot, depot when uh, they first meet each other, like he's looking down, looking at his feet, not really looking at her at all. It's just this weird affectation that these two have about each other. And maybe that's just them, themselves. People being nervous and they don't know how to date and they just won't even like make eye contact. Right. And like when he goes back, when, when they go back to his place and they start making out on the couch, it's like, it's very awkward. And then she pukes. <laughs> and so. then she like has to go to the bathroom. But then it's followed by like kind of a sweet moment where yeah. he actually bought a whole bunch of tea because mm -hmm. she always on the phone was talking about tea. Right. So and he thought she might like it. Right. And that's a sweet thing for you to do as somebody who is like an awkward dumbass. And that is the nicest thing he does. Yeah. And it's enough for her to propose to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of her, like, I can understand where, you know, he is this guy who is who is semi-successful. He has a job. He has this other side thing who that is bringing in money. And she doesn't really do much. So she gets depressed, she stays in bed all day, and she does the whole, like, self-diagnosis of, like, I have clinical depression, even though I'm not actually seeing any anybody about it. Or really doing anything about it. No, and she just finally gets it in her head one day that, you know what, I read about this thing in Israel, and I'm gonna go over there and help the kids. And she does. Yep. She's over there for a month. Once she makes up her mind to do it, she just does it. Yeah. And in reality, he's thinking about himself. Like, you're going to leave me for four weeks? What am I going to do? But in reality, he needs to support her because, good God, she's finally getting off the bed. Right. And by the time it comes around full circle and he needs her the other way around, you know, he's saying, I'm going to die. I have testicular cancer. I'm going right. to die. And she's like, no, you're not. You know how you're going to get through it. You're yeah. going to remove yourself from the situation. You're going to document it and you're yeah. going to put it all in a comic, a different comic, a like different this, comic. This was a graphic novel. This was in a this case. special thing yeah. specifically about this experience that they did together. Yeah, and they called it Our Cancer Year, which, I mean, I think they probably went a little bit more in detail about all of the little things that he is going through, maybe on a daily basis, and like putting all that into the comic. And again, it's not meant to be funny. It's not meant to do, be anything, really. But it's just them. It's their personalities. And the people who know him from American Splendor can see, okay, this is the separate life. This is the more raw, real life that maybe he wouldn't normally put in the American Splendor comic. Like, he's pretty honest in American Splendor. Right. But this is real but honest. This is, it's also from a different perspective. It's from her perspective. She's the one it. seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of it. And that's why it's like co-written. The two of them did it right. together. Right. But she was the, she was given something to do. She had an occupation. Right. So right. she's like, nope, I'm sticking around and I'm going to push you to do this because you need to do this because this is what yeah. will help you. And at the same time, she's also taking care of the daughter, the, the kid. Yep. So, again, she has a renewed purpose in, in her life, and that's what gets her out of bed. 
the the last thing I had was the, apparently there was a variety article that called Harvey the blue collar Mark Twain. So if that doesn't tell you all you need to know about American Splendor, I don't know what else to say. Right. Because Mark Twain was like this Americana guy who documented life in that time period better than anybody else. And you know what? I haven't seen this comic, but based on what I can see in this movie, based on what they showed in the movie itself, I, hey, I, I'm intrigued. I would believe it. I would that absolutely sounds accurate. Yeah. Uh, that's all I had, Betsy. What did you have? I mean, just the fact that the movie ends with his real retirement party. Right. Again, just kind of a, wait, am I watching a movie? Am I watching a documentary? What am I watching? And then they have the last shot is a comic he put out called Our Movie Year. Right. Where he's documenting the making of this movie. Right. So it's all full circle. It's very strange and interesting. <laughs> and yeah, I would definitely watch this movie again now that I know what it is and what right. it's about. Right. And it also makes me want to maybe explore the comics. Right. I would at least maybe want a sampling of maybe some of his best work. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm totally intrigued by this. I'm not a comic book person, neither neither is Betsy, so this would be very different for us. But I would like to sit down and just look at some of this. We also need to find that Letterman clip because, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, all right, I think that's where we can end this for now. Uh, if you would like to tell us your thoughts about American Splendor, uh, about uh, the the guy, the movie, or everything in between, uh, email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. This is our 2003 entry in our Decade series, Volume 2, by the way. This is the second time we're doing this. Uh, go back last year and you can listen to all of our episodes that we do about all the years that end in two instead of three this year. Uh, but we are not going to read an email today. Uh, we're doing some uh, some stuff in, in advance here, so we don't have anything in the can. But we would love to hear from you. Again, email address, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. All of our social media links are listed in every episode description, so check us out there. You, if you don't want to do email, just comment on some stuff, and we'll bring it to the show if you want. You don't have to. We would love it if you would, though. You should. You should. Uh, if you would like to support the show financially, we also have a link in there for you to go to the Spotify page and pay us a dollar or you five should. dollars you or should whatever. Definitely do you that. should re- definitely do that. Give us your money. Also, if you got a spare minute, I know I know you do. You don't need to switch over to TikTok. You've listened to this whole podcast. Yeah. I know you have time. You have time. So while you're listening to us and you're feeling all the good feelings and you're laughing along with us, go to your app of choice, your podcast app of choice and leave us a review. Rate us five stars because that helps raise our profile to other folks like yourselves. You're cool people. Bring other cool people along with you. Uh Uh-huh. But that is it. We're done with 2003 with American Splendor. We've got two more decades to go. We've got 2013 and we've got our current one, 2023 left to go bringing it all back to present day indeed betsy i want to thank you again for being my co-host on this episode and every episode i've never seen it it's a pleasure trend the pleasure is mine we will be back to you folks with another episode of never seen it my name is trent my name is betsy and we'll see you later bye